Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 256. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the ninth Star Trek feature, Star Trek Insurrection. Here we go. Star Trek Insurrection, release date December 11th, 1998, directed by Jonathan Frakes, produced by Rick Berman, screenplay by Michael Piller, story by Rick Berman and Michael Piller, music by Jerry Goldsmith. Cast includes Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard, Jonathan Frakes as William T. Riker, Brent Spiner as Data, LeVar Burton as Jordy LaForge, Michael Dorn as Warp, Gates McFadden as Beverly Crusher, Marina Sirtis as Deanna Troy, F. Murray Abraham as Adar Ruafo, and Donna Murphy as Anij, Anthony Zerb as Admiral Doherty. Lieutenant Commander Data is temporarily transferred to an undercover mission observing the peaceful Baku people. While on their planet, he malfunctions and reveals the presence of a Joint Federation Sona task force and holds them hostage while using deadly force to defend the Baku planet. Admiral Matthew Doherty, overseeing the mission, contacts Captain Bacar to obtain Data's schematics for recovery purposes, but adamantly states the presence of the Enterprise is not needed. Picard, curiously suspicious, decides to ignore these orders and takes the Enterprise to investigate and recover Data. It will destroy the Baku. Just as cultures have been destroyed in every other forced relocation throughout history. Jean-Luc, we're only moving 600 people. How many people does it take, Admiral, before it becomes wrong? Hmm? 1,000? 50,000? A million? How many people does it take, Admiral? I'm ordering you to the Goran system. I'm also ordering the release of the sonar officers. File whatever protests you wish to, Captain. By the time you do, this will all be done. Star Trek Insurrection. Steve, I'd like for you to start us off on Insurrection. Um, so, yeah, so this point we're still kind of in the, we're kind of in the waning time period of the, um, you know, when, when Trek was a big deal, you know, everything was going on. This was at the tail end of DS9. Um, Voyager was still, you know, whatever it was, the fourth or fifth season. Um, now I, I think, I think what it, the positives are, it, it feels like it's part of that universe. There's several references, DS9 references, obviously Warp has to have some excuse to come meet them and all that kind of stuff. So all that stuff is fun for someone who's into all the Trek incarnations and whatnot. And, and it being a, a, um, active universe at the time with several things going on. So that's, that's, that's a positive for it. Um, obviously what it, you know, I think what most people know, it mostly gets criticized for feeling like kind of an, a long episode essentially, because it's so small. The funny thing is about this is that, so I'm watching all these with my wife, um, and she had never seen this one. Um, I had never, incidentally, I had, I have no, I saw, I saw this several times in, in various home video incarnations, but not as much as I had seen first contact in generations, but I still knew it pretty well, just being a next gen fan. Um, and what, you know, at some point it was like a bathroom break or something like somewhere around 45 minutes into it up in that point, I was thinking, you know, I like this 
more than I remember, you know, or we're up to that point, you know, it felt like, you know, it's, it's pleasant. Yeah, sure. It's like an overblown episode. It's not really big, huge action cinematic, but there's fun. There's some cliched, silly stuff, but it's fun. And then after, when I came back from that bathroom break for the last, whatever it is, hour plus of it, then it felt, man, this just gets, uh, so long, you know, like the, the latter half to two thirds of this is. And amazingly, it's literally the shortest Star Trek feature. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, You know, and so that really hurts it. I mean, there, you know, obviously there's, there's not any number of problems with this and it, and it, yeah, it's not particularly cinematic and kind of predictable and, you know, all these kinds of things. But like I said, the, the, the positives I felt were that it's definitely part of the universe at that time. And uh, there's some, and it's always good to see this crew together. And it felt like that kind of thing, like they're all tied together and doing something. Um, you know, there's p- big, big stuff happens, like with uh, Riker and Troy coming back together, all these kinds of things. But, but unfortunately, I don't know if it's it's about like just spending too much time on the wrong things or something. But it, it just it just makes it drag out and get tiresome, and it's just not worth the the reveals and the punch, you know, I mean, that it, that it brings later on, you know, I mean, the, the, the uh, stuff with data and the kid, you know, it's okay, fine. Um, yeah. The Riker Troy stuff gets a little old and silly. Um, maybe a little too much singing in the wrong places. I don't know. Just, you know, it, all that stuff kind of just weighs it down. The, the romance quote unquote Picard has, you know, again, this kind of thing that's just thrown in there when you hardly see him have any romances in years and years and years and years. And then they just do this one off when he's there for a few days that I don't know, it's hard to make that genuine, I think, in a way. But um, yeah, I think those are my initial thoughts on it. Yeah, it, it is odd how, how I'm for me, it just immediately, I feel like I'm watching an episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really it starts off. It starts off, I feel like I'm watching an episode. I mean, it, it, it reminds you that uh uh, you know, Worf's brother episode at times. Yeah. Michael Pillar, you know, he had said that he thought, <laughs> look, Michael Pillar was awesome. We all love Michael Pillar. We will all always love Michael Pillar. But maybe he was better with the TV than, than movies. Because he saw First Contact, which, you know, was written by Braga and Moore. And he said, that was just too dark. <laughs> <laughs> You know, most of us thought that was amazing. We love that movie and still think it's the best next gen movie. So coming off that movie, you hire the guy that thought maybe that wasn't such a great movie. Well, he'd certainly give us something very different. And I want to go out and say very specifically, I do not think every feature has to be like galactic stakes. I do not think that my favorite Bond movies are not the ones where the whole planet is at stake. Those are often the ones I like the least. You know, my favorite Bond movies are are the are the smaller stories. So it's not it's not about the scope of the thing. It's not because Earth isn't in jeopardy or something. Adam, let's hear your first thoughts. Um yeah, my first thoughts kinda are in are on the same lines with you guys. Um I, I will I will say this, Steve, I, I agree with you. I like this film better today than I did way back when. And um, I think for a lot of the reasons that have been mentioned, it's um, it's not particularly a cinematic film. Um, it feels like I think if we were talking about this back when, if this was an episode, we'd be all like, "Yeah, this is a pretty good episode," you know, for TV. You know, the, it, we'd we'd all be like liking this as an actual two part um, episode um, in a television series. But yeah, I'm with you too. It doesn't really work on the big screen. That being said, I'm. I think my biggest disappointment of it at the time was it's like um, 
they just this was just a one-off movie they didn't they decided not to try and um create a story arc which they could kind of continue into 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 more films that bothered you at the time of this release of this movie oh yeah absolutely i think yeah, that's what i hated most about this movie is like um that that it was just a one-off um so i mean you know you had generations and you had first contact so generations was the transition film first contact was the establishing film and i felt like this film should have been like what they should have done to propel future movies and this absolutely doesn't do it at all it's it's a it's a um it's a it's a it's a one-off it's a, it's a single movie by itself and like i said um you know over the years i've you know gotten over that and i can i can kind of enjoy this film a lot more now just because of the simple fact of we won't ever get that generation kind of story arc you know you know trilogy or at least two-part movie or that kind of thing and that's what i was really hoping for i kind of i wanted that next um star trek um trilogy um and and I knew that when they, I knew that they, since they didn't do it in this film, that their generations was done in the film. I mean, obviously they did one more movie, but arguably that movie, you know, Nemesis isn't even as good as this film. So um, I knew that was going to kill them because they, you need to, ha- you need to have storylines, especially for serial stuff, to bring people back into the theater. And this movie did none of that. It did nothing to perpetuate. Um, the Star Trek franchise franchise. It was just, like I said, it was just a one-off. Um, like I said, that being said, it's, it, it's got its, you know, of all the things that Steve said, you know, it's in, it's in the, the prime universe, you know, we hear about what's going on at DS in DS nine. Um, the movie is kind of, it starts, it's, it, it starts upbeat Picard, you know, as, like as compared to, um, um, the last movie, Picard is kind of upbeat. It feels jovial, confident. The crew is, it's just kind of a different energy to kind of start this film off. And then obviously, you know, we get into, you know, what's going on and with the Baku and, you know, that, that conflict between the Baku and the, the Sona, you know, it's an interesting enough story. Um, but um, like um, Steve mentioned early on, it's not cinematic at, in any way. So those were my, those were my thoughts back then to, to now. Yeah. The only, the only difference between, <laughs> between this and a, and it's like a two-part episode. Is in the two-part episode, it would have been one small courtyard. <laughs> but for the feature, they were able to actually build this entire little village. And of course, they got movie stars, F. Murray Abraham, and Anthony Zerby, and you know Donna Murphy was was. I think she was more of a maybe more of a stage person, but I mean she she had some credits and she was real. Spider Man Spider Man was after yeah Spider Man was after this movie. Yeah, okay. Hey, maybe she got Spider-Man because of this movie. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the uh, the the Troy Riker stuff. Uh, Steve, sounds like you didn't like it, but I always I kind of did. Maybe this just, yeah, maybe it's, it goes a little bit too far. There's one too many scenes or something, but I remember the first couple times I saw it, I didn't even associate. I In my mind, it was such a, a given that those two should end up together, and it didn't make sense when they weren't together. That I didn't uh, the first couple times I saw this movie, I don't even think I associated them rekindling their relationship, uh, having anything to do with the Briar Patches regenerative stuff. <laughs> I I think I skipped right over that, and it was just well, if, yeah, of course this has got to happen sometime, and it should, and it's good. So what, Brian? You didn't like the tub scene? What's what's going on? What, what part? <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm saying 
I'm saying all that stuff was good, but but to me it may make so much sense for them to be together that I didn't even associate it right. with you know their their newfound friskiness having anything to do with the briar patch. But of course now I mean my real question, Brian, did your boobs feel firmer after this movie? Definitely, they did. Okay. Yeah, well, that's another thing I wanted. To, well, I'll bring that up. A second. First, so it sounds like Steve, you didn't like the Troy Riker stuff. I, I, I feel like, I feel like it mostly works. Like the, the it mostly works because their chemistry is so good. Like yeah. that scene where she's like, "Was I doing something to your neck?" You know, she's got such a twinkle in her eye, but it, but it, she connects with him. Marina and Jonathan are so good yeah. together. You yeah. know, yeah, I didn't. It's not like I. I didn't hate it, right? It's, it's something a little bit about the execution. I think in, in some ways it felt it was fine to be a little silly and a little playful with it when it would be a little awkward and strange if it was a, a very deep, serious kind of thing, them springing back into it. I, I think it was just maybe maybe it was the um, the time spent on it in a weird way. You know, like it seems to like jump in and out of it in such small little bits that it it's like you know what's going on, but it's just such a trivial throwaway thing and with all the other stuff they could have spent less on in this movie the time they could have spent less on in other things maybe they could have you know gotten that a little more just give it a little more weight you know just to give it a little more heft how big of a thing it is that they after all this time you know maybe this is sparking something this environment they're in but you know their their history and i, I don't know in what fashion that would have gone it just felt like it was so quick and so throwaway in such little bits that and and the kind of the, the, it's not so much the silly banter and the that kind of stuff. It was it was more just the the time allotted and the way it was thrown in there. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think they were a little bit uneven on you know how this this briar patch was affecting everybody. You know, so you had this storyline with um Troy and Riker. Obviously, Picard is reinvigorated. Um, Jordy, you know, regenerates his eyes, and um, Orf goes through puberty. So. Yeah, you kind of, and I mean, it was kind of, to me, it was kind of uneven how everybody was reacting to this. You know, I kind of felt like it should, it should kind of be more uniform, but it was a little bit different for everybody. Well, that leads me to the, to a criticism then is too, is that I've, I've talked about this before, that the reaction to the success of Star Trek Four meant that they were constantly trying to shoehorn in maybe a little bit too much humor. I think First Contact is is mostly okay. It doesn't go too far with the humor, but I think this movie probably does. It just feels a little too forced. Um, like the data, I'm designed to function as a flotation device. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh God, is that funny? I'm not sure that's funny. I don't know. <laughs> it just seems kind of... Yeah, the war, the war pimple was, didn't do it for me either. Or gorch, whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah, or data's checking Riker's chin to see if it's as smooth as his booty. <laughs> I mean, the look on Data's face is like, well, I don't know. I mean, it's it's okay they have fun and stuff, but just it it just seems like it's the tone doesn't match the it goes too far there. How can you have a a serious how can there be any serious moments in this movie? <laughs> If the humor goes that far, I, I don't know. It's just, and it's also, it's not just the one or two jokes. It's, it's the accumulation of it. So it's the quantity and the frequency that makes it feel forced and makes it them stand out. So if there were just fewer of those kinds of jokes, fewer of the jokes, um, then they probably wouldn't bother me so much. But I mean, I, I'm, I was, I was making fun, Brian, with the, with the, the when Data goes up to Worf and says, "Do your boobs feel firmer?" To, I mean, it's it that feels, but I still laugh. But it's a, definitely a forced moment. I'm like, why would he go and tell War ask Worf if his boobs feel 
performer just because but yeah those were some of the moments that were yeah i agree with you that just kind of forced humor and kind of a serious situation too i mean they're you know they're leading these people out of you know you know you know from being you know relocated and kidnapped that kind of thing and just kind of threw in a too many too many too many light moments yeah you know it's uh i think it's it's very easy to um underestimate how difficult it is to pull off humor right i mean and, and especially when you have to deal with the tone of a film that's got i mean if a whole thing is comedy it's one kind of challenge if if you've got a, a, some serious business going on and lives at stake and people doing extreme things it's even tougher you know and, and the balance of how much you do the kind of humor you do and yeah i don't think they did a particularly good job in this one in terms of balancing that and the timing of it and the kind of humor and that kind of thing I'd like to take my customary moment to say how crappy the Blu-ray and even online digital HD versions of this movie look. Too much noise reduction. There's no definition to anything. They scrub the heck out of it. There's no grain left. It looks very dated analog tape early 2000s. Um, And it doesn't help that this was the first Star Trek feature to extensively use CGI, and it was not, you know, it wasn't ILM, it wasn't the, you know, the big guys at the time. So the CGI looks a little dated to me. I mean, it's not like Babylon 5 bad, obviously. I don't mean that. But it doesn't help when already the transfer is crappy. So the quality of the image is crappy. So, Brian, I um, was the, I had a question for you guys. Was the Delta Flyer in existence on Voyager at this point in time. Cause I kind of, you know, that the ship that data was flying early in the, in the film kind of reminded me of the Delta flyer, but it's probably close, especially if you think about how far before the release of this film, it, you know, they would have come up with the designs and stuff. It was probably similar around that time. Yeah. 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 Delta flyer class. I did. I did enjoy that. I didn't. So the two, um, you know, space action Except for the end, you know, so the, you know, them capturing data, I, I enjoyed that um, sequence, you know, it was good action, you know, you know, the, the HMS Pinafore, that, to me, that kind of worked, it wasn't, it worked as humor, but at the same time, it, it had a reason, because they were trying to just, you know, come up with a way to distract data, so they could capture them, so, and that, in that instance, it, the humor, to me, kind of worked, Um and then the other action sequence, I enjoyed um, when Riker was in command of the Enterprise going through the bar, except for when he had the joystick, when he was flying the ship of the, you know, game joystick. But I didn't, I enjoyed that sequence of them, you know, um, um, fighting with the Sona. Um, the ship battle. When they were trying yeah. to, yeah, the ship battle, out, out of, when they were trying to get out of the bar. bar yeah, the, the first ship battle, like when they got the warp corn, warp corn stuff, that stuff, that sequence was pretty great. And I very specifically wrote down, we don't get to see Jordy. We don't get to see LeVar do a lot as Jordy, but I feel like he got to do just a little bit more here, and he's he's great, you know? And it's one of those things where you, in an ideal world, I wish he, they could have done more with him. But anyway, uh, that first battle sequence, in space battle sequence, I, I like a lot. The last one with the ram scoop, I do remember, I have a very vivid memory of people in the theater laughing when the joystick came out, but... I, I, I never felt like they were laughing. Oh, that was a good joke. And it was funny. I felt like they were laughing because they were, they were laughing at the movie. <laughs> so that wasn't good. I think they took that a little too far, you know, manual control and you got a game yeah. joystick. It was just a little not good. 
this was only this was one of two Star Trek features that I I got to see before it came out. I remember seeing it a few days early at a press screening. And it was a weird experience because at the press screening, it really was me and maybe one other fan and then everybody else there were actual press people. <laughs> you know, it was such a a completely different experience than the experience I described last time seeing First Contact in a sold out show with fans uh, who were so excited to see it. Here, when you had something that might have been a fan kind of moment or something for people to be excited about, the first time I saw it, the room was just so dead. Press people don't do that. <laughs> they don't cheer or anything. I don't know. It was such a weird experience. I remember it very clearly. I think that was like the Monday night before the Friday that it came out that I saw it or something like that. And um, so, of course, opening weekend, I went and saw it again. And it was a little bit better. I mean, it was it was obviously not as popular as First Contact or not, and not as anticipated and didn't have the kind of reaction that First Contact had. But I certainly saw it with a couple of real fans that weekend. It was a slightly better experience, except for the joystick moment, which I do re- specifically remember people laughing at in a bad way. <laughs> I, I had this in my notes because it reminded me of the scene in, in Generations. So, I mean, when Picard, you know, it disables the um, the torpedo that blows up the sun and um, in Generations, he kind of does the same thing in this. He, he goes in there and he knows how to use this thing right off the bat. He knows how to enable the self-destruct sequence. He pulls up. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going there I'm like, how does he know how to do this right off the bat? But it, it was kind of fun. I mean, when you watch a film over and over again, you know, you start noticing these things like, you know, man, they got that holodeck ship set up really quickly. So Yeah, that, that's <laughs> cause even to the point where like the countdown clock, yeah. seven, eight, nine, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. How, how could they possibly do that? If they had days to try and figure that out, I don't, but they had minutes. It's, that's 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 too much yeah i mean those are the things you catch on you know when you watch it multiple yeah. times the first time around you, you don't you're not thinking about it but yeah i'm just like yeah they got that they got that whole program set up quit and how did the ship yeah. even get out into space it was in the bottom of a river or a lake at, at some point i like that bit though what you know i like that they had a way for picard to kind of battle the villain without resorting to fisticuffs which you know normally i like that but sometimes it feels a little like it devolves to that point here we had a kind of an exciting sequence where he's trying to set them okay it is a cool special effect shot visual effect shot i mean uh where the enterprise is flying over the the collector as it's blowing up but it's just always funny to me because they they they're able to beam picard out they have sensors right they couldn't lock onto him without sensors so i i so i imagine on the bridge they're like uh I know. I thought of this too. Commander, there are two life signs in the collector: a human and a sona. And the collector's blowing up, and 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 Riker's like, "Just beam up the human, thanks." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <I know. laughs> um, what do we think about this? This the culture of the the Baku. This idea that they've. It's, I do find it interesting that there's this culture that has achieved such a level of of technological advancement that they've decided they've made a choice that it's more interesting to not use that technology and to pursue other kind of interests and to, to lead a comparatively you know, simpler life. I do think that's, that's kind of interesting. My, my problem would be trying to base a feature around it. That, again, seems like something that's more of an episode kind of thing. But, I mean, anyway, what do you guys think about well, the... Well, I think, I think... 
I think the stretch is the coincidence, quote unquote, of a culture that gets so enlightened that they decide to not go out into space, even though they can and just stay put when they also happen to be staying put on a planet that keeps them young all the time. I mean, that, that you know, we're, what's the chicken and the egg kind of thing? You know what I mean? Like, do they realize that if they left, they would, that their youth thing would go away or does that play a role at all? But then that seems awfully coincidental that a, a culture that gets that benefit from the location they're in, not to leave, chooses not to leave, you know? Um, and then the whole, the whole uh, kind of majesty of the time slowing. I don't know. It's all BS or something. I, I don't know what that that's about. That's a uh, little... the perfect moment in time. It makes zero sense. Yeah. It, it's the dumb. I'm sorry. I'm going to use the word dumb. It's the, it's the dumb thing in the movie that breaks it. Uh-huh. It's like everything else you've told me doesn't work because of this. I don't get it. I never got it. I'll never get it. Breaks it. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I mean, there's some interesting ideas there. It's just, it's, it's all, it's actually a very complex situation that, that we just don't have the time to spend on it. That would be justified really. I mean, maybe the, the, maybe the exploration and discovery of such a planet with such a culture would make more sense in like the kind of environment we're in now where you'd have a several part season in a show or something, you know, and you get some background and, you know, actually your characters actually develop your, your lead characters develop from that or something. But in this kind of setting in a short film and surprisingly, again, it's, it's, it's short, but there are parts that seem long yet. They have a whole lot of stuff they could cover, but they don't do it adequately, you know? And that's one of them is the culture of this is what's the, what's the deal with this. We get, we get like an explanation, you know, there's a history there, but it's, I don't think it does adequate. We don't get an explanation for the perfect, perfect moment in time. Right. That's just like, I don't know. I mean, you have to just, I mean, if the only way to make that logical is to just believe everyone's just imagining this or something, I don't even know what's going on, you know? So. Yeah, Brian, I would agree with Steve. It's kind of a generic um, plot point here. It's like, it's interesting, but that, you know, okay, you have this culture, they're advanced, but they, I guess they found this planet and decided to stay there. You know, it's, it's kind of, they don't really go into depth and then, you know, but, you know, basically in the last 15 minutes of the film, 15, 20 minutes of the film, we find out that the Baku and the Sona are related and you get this quick story like they tried to take over and then they were kicked off the planet. And so it's kind of a, you know, just kind of a one dimensional storyline for these two, um, you know, race or for these two groups of people. Um, and you, And like Steve said, they don't really go into it any more than that. I do like uh, the actors. I, I think Donna Murphy is is good. I I think she's pretty pretty good. I think the the editing, the the pacing, uh, maybe did her a disservice occasionally. Like the sequence when she's walking at night with Picard is probably, you know, ten years too long or something. Um, and maybe you start to f- her character can feel unbalanced because of that, but that's not her. I don't think. I think she's pretty good. She's certainly incredibly uh, beautiful. Uh, I like Anthony Zerby a lot. Uh, F. Mary Abraham is great. Is this the only time they've had an Oscar winner like play a villain? I should have looked that up. Hmm. I really think he. I think he's good. I think uh, Abraham does a great job, even though he doesn't have much to work with. He's just good. Uh, I'm not sure that Patrick Stewart and Donna Murphy's chemistry is all that great. I don't. I don't necessarily fault either one of the actors for that, 
but you know, we just saw, we just watched first contact and I think Alfred Woodard and Patrick Stewart have excellent chemistry. So, you know, it's just, they got it or they don't. And I feel like maybe they don't quite have it. I don't quite believe it that he's, you know, romantically uh, attracted to her. I, I don't know. But mostly, I, I, I mean, I think the, the casting is good. They just don't have a lot to work with. Yeah, he's he's attracted to her, but then you also have the you have the, the underlying thing that he's feeling younger and more. So is he really attracted to her? Or is he just attracted to you know the way he's feeling? So it's and you know and obviously at the end of the movie he's like I'm, the Federation is in perilous times. I got to leave. So it's not really. But I'll be back for it because I have a, I have you know a year of vacation. And I'll be back, but you know obviously that never happens. So it's just. It's, it's yeah, it was a relationship that felt like it was going somewhere, but just ended up not going anywhere. So it's like you know, it's a, to me, it's like either go one way or the other. You guys like um, Zerby? You like Abraham? Compare them to other uh, villains? Yeah, Abraham was good. I mean, I mean, he's an incredible actor. So he, you know, and he command, he has a screen presence, and so um, yeah, he was great. Um, I, he was good. I mean, you know, the character that he was playing, you know, was fine. Um, as a villain, um, I don't know if I could go much further than that, Steve. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think he's he's a great actor and such. I mean, the character is kind of fine. I just don't, you know, it's um, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a little bit of a nasty background villain. One of these villains that kind of does what they do in the background, then they reveal themselves, and then they it gets worse and so on. But and that's that's cool. It's just that. I think it just, this movie suffers in so many other ways that it's, I don't know, it's just another issue really with it. I can't, I can't, I can't, yeah. I like the Anthony Zerby, Patrick Stewart scene. Um, uh-huh. How many people does it take, Admiral, before it yeah. is wrong? You know, right. to force, that's a good scene. I mean, it, it, again, because we just watched First Contact, it feels like a, it's, it's Patrick Stewart with one other person going at it in a room, which is awesome, but it's not as good as the 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 scene with um after woodard lily in the last movie but uh, i mean it's a good scene i think it's a pretty good scene and I, and when i talk about how much i love anthony zerby oh man i got to say there, the moment when <laughs> the moment, the moment when um uh f Murray is like i could send my ships to and he makes his hands like he's going to crush it, right? It goes mm-hmm. to bring them back or whatever, you know? And then they kind of push, they're pushing it on Anthony Zerby and he says, send your ships. I love that moment. There's something mm-hmm. about every now and then there's just like words from a movie. Even I've seen movies I don't like, and there'll just be like a moment that I take away from them that just sticks with me forever. Send your ships. It's that alliteration. I don't know. It's just stuck with me forever. I love that moment. And that's, that's Anthony Zerby, man. He's great. Stuart had a, yeah, he had an, a similar scene when he was in the turbo lift with the other Sona when he, I'm pleading for your life. I, I, that was a good scene too for, for Picard and Stewart. Do we think anything about the uh, data storyline with the child and play a little every day and I have to go home now? Dumb. Well, nope. No, kind of How dumb. do you not trip over your own feet? Sometimes I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Nope. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score. Great as always. The man could not mm-hmm. write a bad mm-hmm. score if he was trying. I'm not sure there's ever going to be anybody that's as perfect to and to like innately write Star Trek music as right. Jerry Goldsmith. Just awesome. Awesome. I remember, actually, I think this was the movie. Yeah, so we can tell that, that brief story. Maybe I told this before, but it's, it was from this movie. 
this is something that what's that guy's Lucas Kendall is that his name the guy that produced a lot of the albums and stuff he's been associated with Star Trek recordings and music for forever I think this was on a podcast maybe on Mark Altman's podcast but he was talking about that he he was talking to Jerry's like one of Jerry's main producer right and so so this is the producer telling the story because yeah so I so so I went to to Jerry's studio and he was writing some of the music for Insurrection uh, he was playing some of it for me and they're playing playing the movie so it says it's like we see some footage and then it just is a black screen with text on it you know this is common that says you know missing VFX or something and it lasts a really long time and then it cuts to something else and he stops and I say that music was great what's happening during that scene and Jerry says I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> that's how great he is man Star Trek music just comes out of him that he can that's all he can do it's perfect he's so awesome but I, th- I think it was the opening sequence with um data running around what's this uh, movie about you know you have a couple themes going on here you know you know the relocation of a civilization you know inter- you know they had some prime directive stuff on here you know interfering with the cultures to for the advancements of another culture um you know, obviously Picard um, gets into this with the scene that you were talking about, you know, like um, throughout history, you know, uh, you know, humans, have, every time they've tried to relocate a, you know, a culture or a civilization, it's always turned out bad. Obviously Picard, you know, he, he lectures the Admiral, like, you know, how many is, how many does it take, you know, 600, a thousand, all the way up to a million. So those are the, you know, there's that theme going on there. It's like, you know, um, when, when is it ever appropriate to interfere with uh, another culture? Um, you know, and then there's obviously these other themes that are going on here, um, you know, rekindling your youth, remembering, you know, your passions and your your reasons for, um, you know, living your life and, and doing the thing, the careers, you things that you've chosen, um, you know, and that kind of comes out with this, you know, this effect in the prior patch, you know, rekindling of old love and, you know, kind of coming together as a family. It's kind of what I got from it. I think it's one of the, I think it's a film that kind of spreads itself a little thin with those, with trying to do all those things. I do, I do think it does a fair job of those points. I mean, the, the obviously there's the, the big issue, like you said, of the, uh, um, kind of the, the, kind of the prime directive stuff, you know, it's not strictly speaking prime directive, but the, the notion of, um, you know, interference and, uh, you know, re, the, the relocation and trying to, trying to just make decisions for, for somebody that you have no business making decision, you know, this kind of issue. And then the, the, the idea of um, reevaluating one's life and what matters most, those kind of come together with the notion that Picard, you know, takes off the pips off his collar and does this kind of thing. But I don't know. I, I don't, I think it's just, uh, I think those are, those are there and they, they, they hit on them. It's just um, the balance of how well they hit on all those themes is part of what makes it problematic. It's just, um, so, I mean, some of it's a lot of it's stuff we've seen before. I kind of wish they would have, I don't know, given a little more to the idea of you know living your life and realizing what's important and all that kind of stuff and hitting that more than what they did somehow. Maybe emphasizing some of the subplots and taking away some of the others. But um, I think I think those are the themes they're trying to really get at here. Yeah, one of the other themes I wanted to mention, you know, they kind of they, they didn't 
the very end, you know, they're trying to touch on forgiveness, you know, like the Sona and the Baku coming mm. back together. Right. But yeah, I mean, um, we, you know, we just kind of got such a generic overlay of these two, um, you know, of, this, of the Baku and, you know, the spinoff Sona that um, it didn't, you know, you feel for, you know, you feel for the character, you know, he's, he's dying and he sees his mom at the end, but it doesn't quite have the impact that it should have because of what you mentioned, Steve, they kind of, they, they spread themselves thin and you don't really get a clear cut on some of these um, things that they're trying to say. Okay, that just uh, not a bit of a non sequitur, but I'm reminded also when I talk about like sending your ships, just a line that just sticks with me. There's a line at the beginning of Nemesis that we're going to be talking about in two weeks that is so cheesy that it's always stuck with me for how cheesy it is, and it makes me chuckle every time I hear it. There's this in the beginning, the scene in the Senate, in the Romulan Senate, she says, like, I have to go do something or other. And the 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 guy up front says, of course. And the way he's, it's like, of course. It's like the cheesiest delivery of of course I've ever heard. It sounds, it's like, oh, God, this is the movie we're in for. Oh, crap. <laughs> this movie also has a almost as cheesy moment at the beginning. <laughs> That like Dutch angle push in, Commander Data, stand down, stand down, Commander Data is like, <laughs> oh my god, it's it's like ninety five percent of of course, it is so cheesy, and you're like, yep, there's only so much this movie is going to be doing for me today, <laughs> but all that said, still better than Nemesis. <laughs> as we will prove in two weeks. But first, let's do six degrees for Star Trek Insurrection. Steve, you going first or second? I'll go first. This is one of only two Trek features to have no scenes anywhere near Earth. Name the other one. Okay, no scenes anywhere near Earth. All right. I'm thinking. You're just going in one, two, three, going in order? <laughs> uh, kind of. Yeah. Um, gosh. It's going to be one of these dumb ones when I get the answer to six. Nope. The president was on Earth. Oh, sure. They've saved this. They've literally saved this planet. I know. And they'll do it again. Adam? Uh, I was going to say first contact, but they're on Earth in the Nexus. Does that count? <laughs> Um, I guess would it be um, Star Trek Beyond? That's it, Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> yeah, generations they're near Earth, they're in orbit when Kirk gets on the. Oh, that's the, right. That's right. Yeah. See. So. So yeah, Beyond. Uh, Adam Anthony Zerby played the villain in this movie. He played the villain in the Charlton Heston version of uh, the Last Man on Earth that was originally made. Uh, with Vincent Price, Last Man on Earth, and then it was also remade with Will Smith as I Am Legend. But name the 70s version, this sci-fi staple, one of my favorites, where Anthony Zerby played the villain alongside Charlton Heston. Oh, I got the scenes in my head. What is the name of the film? Um, I've got like 10 um, 70s titles throwing through my like towering inferno. It's a 70s title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm going to kick myself because I can't quite put my finger on it. So go ahead and take it, Steve. I'm thinking, trying to come up with something intelligent. Um, 
You guys are both losing your sci-fi movie fan cred. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, sadly, I'm running the whole movie through my head. I know what movie you're talking about. It's it's one of, there, there are three Charlton Heston, you know, sci-fi staples, late '60s, uh, early '70s. Oh, you got, oh, oh um, you got Soylent Green, and you got this one, The Omega Man. There yeah. you go, Omega Man. All right, there we go. There we go. Oh. Yeah, cheesy in a wonderful way. If, if, <laughs> of course, and Commander Data Stand Down were awesome, they would be the Omega Man. Hey, hey, I had a quick, I had a quick question for you guys. That's where do you think they would have benefited from bringing in more DS Nine characters in these films? You know, because we're already, you know, we got one more trek for, you know, one more generation film to talk about. Um, I think storylines. The suits who didn't like that idea. I think Rick Berman didn't like that. I mean, I, Michael Pillar originally had a line in here by from Worf to say something about. Um, you know, Jed Zia's death, and Rick Berman said, no, if people don't watch DS9, they're not going to know what we're talking about. I don't want it in there. You know, th- there was a deleted scene, isn't it? I think it's on the DVD, right? Or the Blu-rays, whatever. There was a deleted scene where they had um, Quark. Oh, yes, that's right. And uh, you watch that deleted scene, you're like, yeah, it's a good thing they cut it. This doesn't work. <laughs> but um, I-, I-, I think mostly they just didn't want... They didn't want that. They, they, didn't were, want the they were scared. They were, yeah, they were, they were scared. I mean, I mean, you know, Mike, one of the things I was thinking about, like, you know, maybe not have, maybe not have the Enterprise and DS9 actually be in this, in the same, same film, but at least maybe have the Dominion War as part, as, as part of the, um, more of, instead of just a, you know, like, hey, we're, you know, the Federation is dying, you know, kind of like throwaway lines that we all know about as um, fans watching DS9, kind of incorporate that more into the storyline than yeah, what they yeah. did. As was what I was thinking, you know, and you could have had something a little bit more somatic that could have maybe um, been more than just one film. Mm-hmm. Well, instead of doing that, let's make Nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's try and remake Rathacon in a weird way. <laughs> All right. So we're going to be back in two weeks to discuss Nemesis. Until next time, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. We thank you so much for spending an hour with us. Take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. Stefan, I passed it.